Today on the great feast of Pentecost, we're going to take a few minutes considering the end of that great sermon preached on Pentecost by St. Peter. But before we consider that passage, let's take a moment to review our actual situation. It's important to always keep this in mind or we don't understand our faith very well. And there's a lot of people, I'm not speaking to you, but just in general, a lot of good Catholics that don't get this. We'll rely on Pope Leo XIII, the Holy Father, quote, The race of man, after its miserable fall from God, separated into two diverse and opposite parts, of which the one steadfastly contends for truth and virtue, the other for those things which are contrary to virtue and truth. The one is the kingdom of God on earth, namely the true church of Jesus Christ. And those who desire from their heart to be united with it so as to gain salvation must of necessity serve God and his only begotten son with their whole mind and with an entire will. The other is the kingdom of Satan, in whose possession and control are all whosoever follow the fatal example of their leader and of our first parents, those who refuse to obey the divine and eternal law and who have many aims of their own and contempt of God and many aims also against God. Close quote, the vicar of Christ. So mankind is divided into two and only two camps. One is headed towards heaven, that's the kingdom of God on earth, the true church of Jesus Christ. The other camp is headed towards hell and is the kingdom of Satan. Okay? That's not all. Thanks to Adam, where do we start? We all start life in the kingdom of Satan, excepting, of course, our Lord and the Blessed Virgin Mary. So mankind's divided in two camps, the kingdom of God on earth, the church of Jesus Christ, and the kingdom of Satan. And we're all born. We all start off as members of the kingdom of Satan. Thanks a lot, Adam. That's still not all. We've got to remember that God is under no obligation to move anyone into his kingdom. We can't say to God, it's unfair if he doesn't move me or anyone else out of the kingdom of Satan into his kingdom. So our actual situation is that mankind is divided in two camps, the kingdom of God on earth and the kingdom of Satan. We're all born as members of the kingdom of Satan, and God is under no obligation whatsoever to move any of us out of the kingdom of Satan into his camp. Now, that's all background. With all that being said, let's listen carefully to the end of that great Pentecost sermon preached by our holy patron St. Peter to the Jews. St. Peter, quote, Peter said to them, Do penance and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the remission of your sins, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. And with very many other words did he testify and exhort them, saying, Save yourselves from this perverse generation. They, therefore, that received his word were baptized, and there were added in that day about 3,000 souls. Close quote, the Holy Ghost. Just repeat that because we're going to be referring to it. Do penance and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the remission of your sins, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. And with the very many of the words did he testify and exhort them, saying, Save yourselves from this perverse generation. They, therefore, that received his word were baptized, and there were added that day about 3,000 souls. On that first Christian Pentecost. Today, the birthday of the church, we're going to spend time considering the implications 
of these remarkable lines from a point of view of the absolute necessity for salvation, the absolute necessity of our membership in the Catholic Church. At a later date, we'll consider issues like the salvation of other men by such means as baptism of desire, baptism of blood, what exactly men have to be believed to be saved, what exactly invincible ignorance consists of, and so forth. Don't worry about that today. Today we're going to meditate on this remarkable Pentecost sermon of our holy patron, St. Peter. And to do that, we're going to rely heavily on analysis made by the late great Thomistic theologian, Monsignor Fenton. Now, I've condensed an entire chapter from a book to try to get this because I want to make sure that we see, see the, 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 the importance of this. So this is going to be a long but quite edited quote. All right. While discussing this very sermon of St. Peter, Monsignor Fenton points out, quote, both the text and the context of the Acts of the Apostles assure us that the people who heeded St. Peter's injunction to save themselves from this perverse generation entered the true church of God, the kingdom of God on earth. They entered the Catholic Church. Now, if St. Peter's words on this occasion mean anything at all, they signify that the individuals to whom he was speaking were in a situation which would lead them to eternal ruin if they continued in it. They were described as belonging to a perverse generation. They were told to save themselves by getting out of it. The institution which they would enter by the very fact of leaving this perverse generation was none other than the Catholic Church itself. The clear implication of St. Peter's statement is that the Church, the Kingdom of God, was the only institution or social unit of salvation. Not to be within the society was to be within the perverse generation within which a man was faced with an entire and eternal spiritual ruin. To leave the perverse generation was to enter the church. By God's institution, the process of salvation itself involves a passage from the kingdom of Satan into the church. That's worth repeating. We need to keep this in mind. By God's institution, the process of salvation itself involves a passage from the kingdom of Satan into the church. Now, for the proper understanding of this doctrine, it is imperative it is imperative to understand the religious condition of the people to whom St. Peter delivered his sermon on that first Christian Pentecost. The Acts of the Apostles, which we just heard read, describes them as Jews, devout men of every nation under heaven. A great many of these people were pilgrims, men and women who had come to Jerusalem to celebrate the great Jewish feast of Pentecost. Our Lord had died on the cross only a little over seven weeks before St. Peter delivered that sermon. And many of the people who listened to St. Peter must have been on their way to Jerusalem at the very time our Lord had died. They had begun their pilgrimage as an act of worship in the Jewish religion at the very time when the Jewish religion was the one approved especially by God. And when the Jewish religious commonwealth was actually the supernatural kingdom of God on earth, the church 
of the Old Testament. These people as individuals probably had nothing whatsoever to do with the persecution and murder of the incarnate word of God. They had started on their journey as members of God's chosen people, the people of his covenant. Their journey to Jerusalem was made precisely in order to worship and honor God. They were truly devout individuals. Yet seven weeks before, the religious body to which they had belonged had ceased to be God's church. The Jewish religious social unit had definitively rejected our Lord, the Messiah's promised in the Old Testament. This company had hitherto enjoyed its position as God's church by virtue of the fact that it accepted and professed its acceptance of the divine message about the promised Redeemer. In rejecting the Redeemer himself, the social unit had automatically rejected the teaching that God had given about him. The rejection of this message constituted an abandonment of the divine faith itself. By manifesting this rejection of the faith, the Jewish religious unit fell from its position as the company of the chosen people. It was no longer God's church. It was no longer his supernatural kingdom on earth. It became part of the kingdom of Satan. While the great social unit of the Jews was rejecting our Lord, the little company of the disciples, organized by our Lord around himself, retained its faith. It continued to accept and to obey our Lord and to believe the divinely revealed message that centered around him. Thus, at the moment of our Lord's death on Calvary, the moment when the old dispensation was ended and the Jewish religious association ceased to be the supernatural kingdom of God on earth, this recently organized society of our Lord's disciples began to exist as the kingdom of God on earth. This society centered around Our Lady and St. Peter, was the true continuation of Israel. The men who were within it were the true sons of Abraham, in that they had the genuine faith of Abraham. This society was the new association of the chosen people. Its members were, as St. Paul called them, the elect, or the chosen of God. It was the true church, or company of the faithful, in the sense that no man could attain to eternal salvation unless he passed from this life within it. This organized society within which unworthy members would be intermingled with the good until the end of time was actually our Lord's own mystical body. So it was that when St. Peter spoke to the crowd on that first Christian Pentecost, the society of which he had been constituted the visible head was actually the church of God. His hearers, who a few weeks before had belonged to God's supernatural kingdom on earth, by reason of their membership in the Old Testament community, now actually found themselves in that perverse generation precisely by means, a reason of that same membership. When St. Peter spoke to them, they were in a position from which they needed to be saved. When St. Peter is speaking to them in this sermon, which occurs immediately after the reading we had at the epistle, They were in a position from which they needed to be saved. They were no longer members of the chosen people. It's extremely important for us to remember that the people St. Peter urged to save themselves from the perverse generation 
in which they were living were definitively not men of no religion at all. They were devout members of the establishment which had been less than eight weeks before God's supernatural kingdom on earth. In that establishment, they had learned love for God and zeal in his service. Many of them were so moved by zeal for the service of God, they were willing to travel very considerable distances and to undergo serious hardships in order to assist at the temple sacrifices in Jerusalem during the great feast of Pentecost. St. Peter, in his preaching, did not recommend the church to these people as something far more perfect than the religious affiliation it already possessed. On the contrary, he made it clear it wasn't far more perfect. It was necessary. It was necessary for them to transfer themselves from the perverse generation in which they then existed into a condition of salvation. The acceptance of his teaching was, in fact, an entrance into the Catholic Church. It is in line with this teaching that St. Paul, in his epistles, refers to those within the church as being saved. The entire context of the New Testament brings out the fact that by entering the church, men are actually being saved from the dominion of Satan, the prince of this world. St. Peter made it clear that in entering the church, the people to whom he was speaking on that first Christian Pentecost were really being saved. We must not lose fact or sight of the fact that in our own day, there's oftentimes a tendency to imagine that people who are in a position comparable with that of the people to whom St. Peter's sermon was addressed are really in an acceptable position. In every age of the church, there's been one portion of Christian doctrine which men have been especially tempted to misconstrue or to deny. In our times, it is the part of Catholic truth which was brought out with special force and clarity by St. Peter in his first missionary sermon in Jerusalem. It is unfashionable today to insist, as St. Peter did, that those who are outside the true church of Jesus Christ stand in need of being saved by leaving their own positions and entering the church. Unfashionable or not, this remains part of God's own revealed message. It is part of Catholic doctrine that entrance into the church, actually by becoming a member of the church, and when this is impossible, at least by an implicit, though sincere desire and intention, entrance into the church is part of the process of salvation. It is equally part of Catholic teaching, however. This is by no means the only part. A man is saved from the evil belonging to the kingdom of Satan by his entrance into the church. But that entrance in no way guarantees that he will actually enjoy the beatific vision for all eternity. The process of salvation is not fully completed. A man cannot be said to be saved in the fullest sense of the term until he has attained the beatific vision itself. Thus, despite the fact it is possible for a man to be within the church and lose his soul, salvation is in itself a process which involves a social aspect. Everyone... Everyone that's been born since the sin of Adam, with the exception of our Lord and the Blessed Mother, everyone has come into the world as a member of the fallen family of Adam, and thus as one who belongs to what St. Peter designated as a perverse generation, or what Pope Leo XIII called the kingdom of Satan. The process of salvation is a process by which such men have been brought from that condition of aversion to God into the enjoyment of the beatific vision. Involved in that process 
by God's own institution is a transfer from the kingdom of Satan into the one, the one supernatural kingdom of God on earth. Since the moment of our Lord's death on the cross, that kingdom has been, again, by God's own institution, the Catholic Church, the mystical body of Christ on earth. Close quote, Monsignor Fenton. Now there's a lot to think about there. But for now, we'll just shift gears and consider what are some of the implications for us? What are we supposed to take away with, from all this on this beautiful Pentecost Sunday? First conclusion. If we Catholics, if we Catholics ever leave the Catholic Church, we are moving away. We are moving ourselves out of the kingdom of God and into the kingdom of Satan. And what does that mean? That means we can't be saved. If we Catholics leave the church, we can't be saved. If we leave the church, we can't be saved. Later on, we'll consider the salvation of other men. But for today, everyone needs to burn this into his mind. If I leave the Catholic Church, I can't be saved. And I want to speak especially to the young people. Priests aren't completely stupid. I know that there are young people here that come to Mass because your folks make you. And you can't wait till you leave home and dump all this Catholic stuff. For the love of God, for the salvation of your soul, don't leave the church. Listen to me. If you leave the church, you can't be saved. What is your soul worth? Second conclusion. We're already in the kingdom of God. We're already in the kingdom of God. We've already been placed into the kingdom of God. Think about what that means. Think about what that means about how much God loves us, each and every one of us here, that he's given us this priceless gift. We've been moved out from being children of wrath, from under the dominion of Satan, out of the kingdom of darkness, and into the kingdom of light and grace and truth. Third conclusion. Since we're in the kingdom of God, the true church, that means that God is with us. He's with us. He hasn't left us orphans. Not only is he there right now in the most blessed sacrament of the altar, really present, body, blood, soul, and divinity, as long as we're in a state of grace, he's dwelling within us in the depths of our soul, in the most spiritual part of our soul. The Father, Son, and the Holy Ghost, the most blessed trinity, is dwelling within our souls as in a temple. God is with us. This means that not only can we visit our Lord in the most blessed sacrament of altar when we're in church, but as long as we're in the state of grace, we can also visit the most blessed trinity simply by turning inwards. That's why we call it the interior life. The interior life is getting more and more in contact through prayer with the blessed trinity that's dwelling in us as a temple. Someone he loves, and he's in the depths of our souls, okay? Think of the dignity to which God has called us. He's moved us from being enemies, from being enemies under the dominion of Satan, and he's moved us into being his temples. Fourth conclusion. Once we're in a state of grace, once we've been given supernatural life, we don't have anything to be afraid of except sin. 
We have nothing to be afraid of except sin because that's the only thing that can separate us from God. The only thing that can separate us from God is sin. We have nothing to be afraid of except sin. Nothing. Nothing. We're here to become saints. The only obstacle to our sanctity is sin. If we're in the state of grace, the only obstacle to leading a successful life is sin. Nothing else matters. Sickness, suffering, death, nothing matters except sin. Once we're in the state of grace, that's the only danger to our salvation is sin. Finally, these truths need to be acted upon. What are we doing? Since God is with us, both in the most blessed sacrament of the altar and the depths of our soul, we've got power. We have supernatural power readily available. We have the infused virtues, faith, hope, charity, prudence, justice, fortitude, temperance. We've got the seven gifts of the Holy Ghost. We have supernaturally strong personalities. We may have a fairly meek, mild Casper Milktoast sort of natural personality, but we've been supernaturally strengthened by being in the state of grace. We have power that comes from God himself, and we've got to use it. You take him at his word. We need to take the word made flesh when we receive him in Holy Communion, ask him to strengthen us and make us grow into him and like him. Are we doing anything? Are we reaching out to those around us like St. Peter reached out on that first Pentecost? Are we? Are we? We've got power, supernatural power. We just have to use it. We're not supposed to just sit there. We're supposed to go out and take this message of hope, this message of love, this message of freedom from bondage and sin out into a world afflicted with darkness and misery and despair. We can take Christ's revealed word out to our friends and neighbors in our actions, of course, but in our words also. The first sermon St. Peter preached after Pentecost, he had 3,000 conversions. Okay, so we're not St. Peter. But that doesn't mean that we can't reach out, okay? God puts men into our path. What does he expect us to do but to try to throw a lifeline to them if they don't have what we've got? See, we've got something they need. We've got something they want even if they don't know it yet. We've been placed in the kingdom of God and we want them to have, we want everyone to have what we've got. We want to invite people to become Catholic. Now, we don't do that with a club. We don't want to clobber them. You can win an argument and lose a soul. We've got to be gentle. It's easy. It's summer coming up. We can practice when we're on vacation. Practice on strangers. You're not going to see them again, okay? It's going to be easy, okay? I'll give you a few good techniques. This is from Frank Duff, founder of Legion of Mary. It's easy. You know, you bump into somebody. You're on vacation. You're pumping gas. You strike up a conversation with them about anything, about the price of gas, good place to go fishing, what's neat to see, whatever. Don't fake it. Be genuine. You got, you're curious about something when you're traveling around, so you can be genuine. No one likes a fake. They'll see right through you. So you just stand around and visit, huh? And then when you've got some kind of rapport built up with the person, ask them something like, would it be too personal to ask you what your religion is? And go from there. You can't get it wrong. You're trying to do something. You can't get it wrong. You go from there. Then if they're not Catholic, say, did it ever cross your mind of becoming a Catholic? That thought ever crossed your mind. Go from there. If he says no, say, well, to my way of thinking, you're leading a greatly deprived life. 
You owe it to yourself to have a look at Catholicism. It means an awful lot to me, let me assure you. If they point out all the apostasies and scandals and all the nonsense going on, which they probably will, you can just smile and say, well, come on in, the water's terrible. I mean, it doesn't matter. You're trying to get somebody to consider our faith. You can't flunk, except if you don't do anything. God put that person across your path. If you don't know what to do, have a pocket full of miraculous medals. You can give them away. It's easy. Here, you need one of these, you know. They'll take it from you. It's too late. They've got it once you hear it. You, you need one, you know. They'll ask you what it is. Who cares? It's easy to do this stuff, okay? Don't worry about getting it right. God's with us. We just do the best we can. We're not expecting to be St. Peter. We're not, but that's okay. And we're not expecting necessarily to convert a stranger in just one conversation. Although, a parenthetic thing... In college, I asked a guy, have you ever, you know, why don't you become Catholic? And he said, all right. Well, I almost fell over. That's only happened once, you know, but, uh, but hey, it gives you hope, you know, because I just like, that was, I thought, wow, I was ready for an argument. I don't know what to say now. So I just stood there and said, uh, okay. Anyway, we can do it. Besides, if we're doing it with strangers, we don't need to be afraid. It's not a sin, and we're never going to see him again. So who cares if we look stupid? You know, you get better at it, okay? Practice. All right, let's review. If we leave the Catholic Church, we can't be saved. We're already in the kingdom of God. God's with us. And we're in the state of grace. We're his temples. The only thing that can separate us from God is sin. And so sin is the only thing that we need to be afraid of. We've got supernaturally strengthened personalities. And we need to reach out to the people that God puts in our path to try to bring them out of the kingdom of darkness, out of the perverse generation, and bring them into the kingdom of God. Christ has placed each one of us in his kingdom. Christ has placed me in his kingdom, the Catholic Church, and he's given me the means of salvation. Each one of us has to say that. Christ has placed me in the church and given me the means of salvation. He expects me to spread the word about this to the folks he places in my path. What have I been doing about this? What am I doing about this? What will I do about this?